0: Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Madeline and this week Divya, Inika, Isaiah and I spoke with Jordan Thomas, a 20-year-old activist who has done quite a few remarkable things in his first two decades. Jordan served as his high school's class president, Was featured in the news in 2019 for taking the New York City subway to his prom, served as a supervisor at the JFK airport at age 19 during the early parts of the pandemic, and further capitalized on the pandemic to move himself to the city of Baltimore to pursue a career in law enforcement over the summer. Jordan's goal in life is to be a public servant, to defend the defenseless, and give voice to the voiceless and be seen as a positive influence on people, which are goals that we share and deeply admire. We talked about what it means to be a youth activist, differences between New York City and Baltimore, and what it will take for people to trust the New York City subway system again, and so many other parts of city life. We always look forward to learning about what makes people like Jordan tick, and we think that you will too. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. My name is Divya Ganesan. I'm a senior from the Palo Alto Bay area, and I'm the co-founder of Real Talk with Eliza Golder, which is a peer-to-peer organization for high school students' civil discourse. Um, and I'm really excited today to learn more about your life, Jordan,
1: and how you've used activism as someone who's so young and close to our age. Hi, I'm Inika Kodastane and I'm a high school junior from New Jersey. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also co-editor-in-chief for the Next Generation Politics blog. And today I'm excited to talk about, you know, I'm not from the city, but I do go occasionally and just how life there is like, and how um, obviously when you're living there, you see the effects of gentrification a lot more. You see the effects of public transportation a lot more and just your perspective on how that has changed over time and how it could possibly change in the future.
2: Uh, my name is Isaiah Taylor, and I'm currently a high school senior, uh, attending school in Queens, New York. I actually recently got accepted to my top school, so soon to be college freshman. Um, and I'm just really interested in, in uh, your your work involving activism, because I'm I'll admit I'm not really the activist type, so I do like to pick I'd like to pick your brain a lot about that, and as well as uh, the implications of an urban environment uh, and transportation, as you as we see that you're experienced with uh, as well.
0: Hi, my name is Madeline Mays. I'm a high school sophomore from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm really passionate about civic discourse, and I'm from New York City myself, so I definitely know what it's like to be in the city and experience all of the ups and downs of that environment. Um, But I will say I haven't really been out and about in the city in probably a year now, so. Um, it'd be interesting to talk about how New York has changed and I can't, quite honestly know nothing about Baltimore. So it'll be really interesting for me to um, see where the two cities uh, compare and contrast. So thank you for being on today.
3: course, cool, absolutely. As you am pretty sure you all know already, um, my name is Jordan Thomas. I um, graduated high school about two years ago, 2019. I'm currently 20 years old, I moved out of my house in New York City, well, mother's house, after working two jobs in conjunction with each other, uh, when I saw an opportunity arise in the city of Baltimore for the opportunity for public service in law enforcement. And I took the opportunity simply because, uh, you know, New York City, they need need help, but I looked at Baltimore and I believe that they need help a little more critically than they do in New York, and I'm the type of person who just wants to go and give a helping hand to anybody who I think needs it the most. And at the time, I saw Baltimore as that city. And as a result, I packed my bags and now I'm here. I've been here since uh, July of last year. And my current occupation is a police cadet for the city of Baltimore. And I'll be going to the academy in the summer and I'll be an officer next year. So my intentions with uh, a Y vote will be just to kind of vocalize the current issues with our political agenda from a lot of different aspects and uh, just see collectively as a unit what we could do to really kind of solve these issues or work towards solutions for these issues collectively. And I see from, we're from different cities here, New York Jersey, Brooklyn. And I see there's a lot of, there's an age gap here. Miss Isaiah is about to go to college. I see Madeline is a sophomore in Brooklyn. So definitely the age gap will also play a huge factor in finding out what we can do to fix our cities. Well, for a better word, not really fix, but build upon our cities.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Jordan. I have to say, being from California, the lands of like Baltimore, New York, everything seems very distant from me. So I'm excited to hear your perspective. And um, I thought I'd start off with a more general question, which has been like, what has been your experience during the pandemic living in a city like Baltimore? How has your job changed or possibly the same? What about your life has changed because of the pandemic?
3: Well, to be fair, the pandemic, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the few people who could say this, but the pandemic has actually kind of benefited me. Um, The pandemic first happened when I, uh, very coincidentally, I got a job at JFK Airport. It was a night job. And I got the job just as COVID just hit. And uh, back when everything was considered very dangerous, only essential workers could be on the streets. And I was considered an essential worker. So I was one of the few people actually outside working. So the pandemic um, also, uh, it postponed a Test I was supposed to take with the NYPD to be a traffic agent. So because that test was postponed, I was at the airport for much longer than I was supposed to be. And because I was there for longer, I saw the opportunity for Baltimore open up. I was not going to wait any longer. Even to this day, the traffic enforcement has not contacted me back. They said we're going to postpone the test until uh, further notice. And it's been a year, so you know. And uh, um, luckily. Uh, I didn't like the job at, at the airport, not one bit. But if I were to say something positive about it, it did give me the money to come out here. So without the pandemic, to be honest, I probably wouldn't be here right now. So that's the one good thing I have to say about it. As far as life, it hasn't really affected me whatsoever. I still, from the day the pandemic first started to even now, my life has hardly changed as it was before. I mean, I just do it I'm asking now. So it doesn't really bother me too much. But of course, that doesn't mean that I can't be sensitive to others who has impacted. So I always try and be humble and keep my cool around people who, you know, because I don't know what their experience with the pandemic is. Just because mine was luckily good, doesn't mean that it will be, be the way for everybody else. So always try and be sensitive to the others around me.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to comment on what you said. I really resonate with the uh, the the one um, one positive thing that you could say about the pandemic and something that I can say it was positive about the pandemic was that it shed light on a lot of different things that uh, we weren't really doing correctly. Like uh, in, in schools, the bathrooms, they, I mean, the boys' bathroom, I mean, there wouldn't be soap there all the time. Uh, we'd have to go to the office and get some hand sanitizers, really nasty. Pretty sure a lot of the kids didn't even wash their hands.
1: Uh, and in general,
2: people uh, don't wash their hands. Uh, overcrowded spaces, the subway is very overcrowded. It's just generally a very unsafe, well, it was, uh, yeah, it was unsafe. And now that the proximity, uh, the proximity cab has been split in half, I believe, uh, that kind of helps that out. But yeah, it really has shed light on a lot of stuff that we we collectively do have to work on. Uh, given that we, we are a city, it's different than living in a suburban area or a rural area where there's not really a lot of people around, you know, no, there there are people everywhere and houses and stores and, and and rodents, there are rodents everywhere. Um, and living in a city is much different than a rural area. So I I do think that that is one thing that it was very po- well, positive uh, regarding the pandemic.
3: Thank you. I, really, I definitely agree with what you said about the soap. I myself, I went to high school in Brooklyn. I know exactly how you feel about that soap situation. Even even before COVID, there were no soaps in our, in our bathrooms, but we managed, you know yeah it was really it's actually really uh disturbing (laughs) like you uh
2: like sometimes like when you use the bathroom you'd see like another kid walk out the bathroom and just
3: stroll on to class like something happened but back in those days that was kind of the norm i mean ever since i was born i remember i've there's always been a push for wash your hands and be sanitary but, you know, because there wasn't something like COVID that was around, I mean, sure, we had things like what the, the, the flu and for a small period of time, we had Ebola, where they really were pushing the whole agenda of wash your hands and keep yourself clean. But even though there are people, it's a standard to keep yourself clean. It wasn't really emphasized until COVID. So I could definitely see why a lot of people would just brush that off. Like you see someone go to the bathroom and leave and not wash their hands, something simple like that. Uh, before COVID, it was definitely something that was normal, I'd say. So I, I do believe that I agree with you when you say another positive thing about the pandemic is it shed a lot of light on where our sanitary, our sanitation is as a uh, collective in cities as a whole. As like you said, public transportation, schools, it's dirty, there's rodents everywhere. And uh, if we all just, you know, keep ourselves clean, we could work toward a problem to fix that, you know?
1: I think the topic of cleanliness also has to do a lot with public transportation, because I remember um, I think it was earlier in the pandemic where the train system was shut down or something like that, like for the first time in like a few decades. And I think that that was like a, a really eye opening moment on just how important like um, staying clean is going to be like starting now and hopefully in the future. And obviously like the city is not the cleanest place. Um, doesn't take a genius to figure that out, but just what is, what, like, what do you think, um, the future will look like just because there's a lot of things that will have to change or people will want to change. And I guess, yeah, what Sam was saying, what will it take people to trust the subways again, just because there's so many questions and there's so many things up in the air about cleanliness and like how you can stay safe while there's a pandemic going on?
3: Well, honestly, I don't think uh, the whole factor of trust weighs a lot because whether New Yorkers like it or not, they're going to have to take the train to go to do work. So uh, for me, I definitely understand where you where you say trust plays a huge factor and people trusting to take the subway system. But even, even myself, I had to take the subway system in the middle of COVID at its peak just to go to work. And uh, it's, it, for me, it wasn't a factor of trusting it, it was because I had to. So, but I, again, I do definitely see why you say trust is a huge factor. And because of that, I do think that the future of uh, say public transportation, for example, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that the whole shutdown is still going on for transit. Uh, back when I was working, it was uh, one in the morning to five in the morning. And I do believe it is still like that. So do I think it's gonna remain that way for quite some time? I believe so. I do think it'll get a little lighter. I believe it was lighter for a period. They stopped doing it, but then you know, COVID went back up and they started doing it again. So it's kind of a cycle that we're seeing of uh, people getting a little too comfortable with the you know, COVID restrictions being lifted up. And because of that, they get a little overconfident and now everything's shut down again. So I think it's gonna be an endless cycle, honestly, un- unless collectively we as, uh, at this point, a country, can agree that there's a common goal we all need to reach and that common goal is to get rid of covid and if it is something as simple as wearing a mask or you know brushing brushing your teeth and washing your hands and all that simple stuff i don't think it should be very hard for us to do but then again to contradict myself we have been in this pandemic for more than a year now when they said oh it's only going to be for 2 weeks and 2 weeks turned into a year and a couple months but you know that's why i believe to answer your question is going to kind of be unfortunately is going to be a cycle either it's going to be a cycle or eventually the governors of the different cities will take different stances for example i believe governor Cuomo is more on the uh sanitary side where governor hogan here of baltimore is more on the i'm tired of this i want everything open side so depending on the governors of the cities either there will be a continuous cycle where they fluctuate where they decided it's safe and it's not safe, safe, and it's not safe again. Or they will continue to just stay on lockdown, kind of the direction New York is going. Or they're going a Baltimore direction, and they will just not care and have everything open uh, just for the public with minimum restrictions. And uh, in my eyes, I think it just depends on the city. Because based on a city scale, New York City is the number one largest city in America. Baltimore is the 30th. So that's a very large gap. So due to just mass and size of a city will also constitute the mass and size of the people living there. So I believe the smaller the city, the easier it will be to break the cycle of, you know, fluctuations with COVID restrictions. In the case of New York, I think it's going to be, personally, I think it's going to be endless until they, you know, get on top of it.
2: Yeah, something you said really caught my eye about, uh, you know, it varies from governor to governor, and I clearly agree with your statement. So uh, what role do you think the federal government can play uh, in terms of um, in terms of breaking the cycle and working on uh, work towards one united goal?
3: Well, in my eyes, I do believe the federal government has the ability to uh, constitute some kind of law um, to be more specific. I'm pretty sure you're all aware the mask rule is not a law. It is a mandate, which means, for example, if you were to enter an establishment without a mask and they have a mask policy, you can be, I don't believe you could be, you cannot be arrested for it. I don't even think you'd be fined for it. If, you, if you're if you the owner of an establishment with a customer like that and police are notified and come to the scene, they can't arrest them because not wearing a mask is not a crime. It is a mandate and you can break a mandate, but you cannot break a law. So if the federal government were to do something as simple as bring up the idea of making things like mask mandates uh, illegal and put them in the form of law, then definitely the federal government can play a huge role in that because then it will give people much higher incentive to actually follow the COVID guidelines and uh, hopefully bring the pandemic to an end.
0: Honestly, I'd be kind of scared if the government um, had a law um, against the mandate of masks and um, had and everyone had to wear masks because there are people out there that have very strong opinions against mask wearing. And um, I think that that would cause a huge disruption. Um, in every city around the country, so I—it's almost scary um, me to dep- uh, imagining the headlines and the news um, when I open New York Times on my phone because um, I'm always scared of what's going to happen in New York Times. But
3: um, well, let's so- you're, you're very inquisitive. I wanted to ask you why do you think that people are fighting the mandate to wear a mask? Because we've seen examples of people fighting to wear the mask because they, as simple as like a child, I don't want to wear it. It doesn't It doesn't look good. In fact, I was that person. When the whole COVID thing ha- came out, it wasn't until probably the summer until I was I was stopped being so hard-headed and like, no, I don't want to wear it. Because for me, it was because it just ruined my style. Wearing that blue thing it just messed up my whole, my, my fashion sense. But then as time went on, I realized how important it was And now I don't care, because at the end of the day, it's a piece of fabric. So, you know, but I'm I'm not like everybody else. Everybody does not feel the same way about that. Some people are still taking the whole mask thing to the grave today. So why do you think, actually, a better question would be, what do you think we could do in order to kind of encourage people like that to wear their mask in order to kind of dwindle the COVID numbers?
0: You know, I think that's a really hard question because there have been so many, um, I mean, the easy answer to that would be to say something like, um, spread more information about the benefits and stop the spread of misinformation about mask wearing. Um, But that's something that we've been doing for so long, right? So I feel like there's just an extent to which we can go with mask wearing um, because there's always gonna be someone who has personal beliefs that will conflict with um, something that the government tells them to do so I think that's a question that we're all like going to be pondering for a while but I'm curious about what anyone else thinks about that question because it, it really is a difficult one
2: maybe a propaganda campaign you know uh have a lot of ads and stuff are around like uh you know those small ads that you see that you see on the subway I can guarantee you have a largest uh, psychological impact than you think so perhaps we can start a, a press campaign uh, about it. And I think that uh, Miami right now is a, is a great uh, pillar to, um, or example or, or say uh, how they, I think they said that they've arrested over a thousand people uh, over uh, the course of this week due to the uh, recent influx and, and spring break people. Uh, and you know, how's this, how's government DeSantis uh, responding to that? I, I don't know, but uh, I think that can also serve as a motivating factor or potentially a destructive factor towards the whole campaign because then, you know, people don't like to be forced to do things unfortunately, well, fortunately, but unfortunately. So I think the most effective option would probably be to start a press campaign.
3: I agree with what you said about advertisements. I do definitely wholeheartedly believe that more advertisements will get people to listen. In fact, I just watched a uh, news article from uh, 2008, how they were advertising. Usually, most people will not agree with advertising because they think it's just something that people will just walk past. But advertisements actually play a huge role. In 2008, a video game had came out, and uh, uh, it was was Grand Theft Auto 4, and Rockstar Games had paid the Chicago uh, Transit Authority to for six weeks have their campaign and kind of uh, advertise their new game on their subway systems. And uh, Chicago agreed for a week, but then after that they retracted their whole contract and they got sued. And the whole reason is because the people were actually, you know, looking at the advertisements. And I think that there is an example of, uh, yes, advertisements do work. People do read them. So I agree with you there. I think a lot more propaganda based uh, kind of media towards mask wearing and COVID regulations can definitely help out. Put them on the trains, buses, billboards. I think people will get the message. Even the hard-headed ones like I were, they will get the message. Yeah, even uh, even last year, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, when Governor Cuomo,
2: there was a, uh, a commercial, I don't know if you remember, it was, I think he, um, when he was having the daily press hearings, he gave an option of three commercials and uh, you know, he got the people to to vote for the commercial, and then it was uh, streamed all over the place uh, across multiple channels uh, in the state of New York. And I thought that that was a really, really great place to start. It was a really great example of a, of a press campaign, state-sponsored, by the way. You know, um, state. I mean, that does hold gravity. Uh, who's sponsoring the campaign? But I think it'll it'll be a great a great way to incorporate uh, the private sector as well as the state sector in terms of like a a joint initiative to spread the benefits of masks. And there has been like a, a huge spike in, in, in these commercials. And I think that it is starting to get into people's heads that it, you know this is very, very beneficial.
3: I think part of the reason is also people are getting more lax, because now they have these vaccines out and people will just see the word vaccine and they'll think, to themselves, oh, they got a cure. It's okay, I can take this off now. When reality, it's not that easy. So I definitely agree with you there. And that point. So I believe it's a, it's a group effort. At the end of the day, it's a group effort.
0: That's all for today, friends. I'm editor Sarita Adabala signing off for all of us at Next Generation Politics. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends, or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. Thanks for listening.